Welcome to the Performance Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Shay, and today I have not only an esteemed but great legend in the living, Willie T. Ribs here at Performance Talk. How are you doing, good sir? Well, uh, when we opened up our conversation, I said I've got a pulse. Yes. And, uh, and, and that's a good thing. It is, it is a good thing. With it and go to sleep with it. That is a good thing. Anytime you do that, means you got an opportunity to keep being great, which you are. So let, you. let's let's just start this off with with just a a few things that people should know. All right, and, and you correct me along the way if any of them need to be corrected. Uh, am I correct in saying uh, first black man and Formula Ford champion? Yes, I am correct in saying that. All right. That By the way, clinched early because of points. Yeah, I did. I and I'm glad. We did because I was about out of money. You know, I was in England, right, and uh, running the Dunlop Championship, and it was for young drivers. Okay, drivers just cutting their teeth to advance into the next level, which would have been Formula Three or two, and okay. eventually Formula One. All right, and then we got Trans Am Rookie of the Year. Yes, uh, of course, you also won a Constructors Championship. Yes, uh, you also. Top three in IMSA finishes, top three in IMSA. Top three in IMSA, but two-time driver of the year. Two-time driver of the year. 2021 right. in Duck D to Long Beach Grand Prix, correct, Hall of Fame? Yes. Uh, yes. You just and, had a birthday not too long ago, so belated happy birthday. Yeah, and last year inducted in the Trois Rivieres Grand Prix Hall of Fame. Also. Okay. So. Also. And uh, – San Jose Sports Hall of Fame. That's everything. That's all sports. All sports. Yeah. That is wonderful. Did, let me add, let me say this, okay, because Willie T has an extreme amount of accolades that, that you have accomplished through your time. But to me, to me, some of the most important things, people come into a sport, right? And sometimes they do things in a sport that revolutionize, changes that sport. To me, I feel like you've done way more than that. All right. Today is a wish for me, honestly, a wish come true. I Like I told you before, I never got a chance to talk to Dr. Martin Luther King. I never got a chance to talk to Fred Hampton, Malcolm X, Rosa Parks, any of Muhammad Ali, any of the people that I feel have done things so great in life where they changed the way I could live my life in this generation. And you did that, not only in racing, but you affected the way that people that look like me can say I could do that. You broke down barriers. You laid pathway. You are a trailblazer for even people such as great as Lewis Hamilton, who's went on to just do some awesome things. And for the things that you've done, for the things that you've endured, for the challenges that you overcame from all the situations that tried to kick you down and keep you out. I just want to say I thank you for that. I thank you for not quitting. I on behalf of my community, I want to thank you also for that. And I just appreciate everything that you've done that will benefit me looking my daughter in the face as she's in her second carding season and just telling her that it is possible, baby, for you to do that. And for for me to be able to show her you and your accomplishments and her to identify and say it is possible. I do. I do. Thank you. Good, sir. Well, I used to say to my team after we won a race, when they said thank you, I said, thank you for thanking me. <laughs> so, uh you know, I, you, sometimes when you're young, you don't know any better. Sometimes there's obstacles that are put up in front of you that 
you don't know any better not to not quit. Right. Yeah. I didn't, there was never one time that I thought I was going to give up or quit one. I would, my grandpa would have kicked my ass if I would have laid down and quit. It just <laughs> wasn't in the DNA. And, you know, and I was raised old school, I, very old school. You didn't complain. You didn't play the victim. You victimized them for, mm. for trying to obstruct you. You kicked their ass. And with me at that time doing what I was doing, I always knew that I could win. I always knew that I had the talent to win. And when I went to England and won my first championship straight away, there was no, there was no uh, second guessing. I had mm -hmm. no second guesses as to whether I could win further and keep winning and get to the top. I, uh, I didn't realize how difficult it was going to be, but I, uh, I, I didn't give a damn how difficult it was going to be. So I got a question for you. You you'd mentioned your grandfather, very uh, accomplished man, especially in those times. Definitely uh, businessman, very headstrong man, and definitely somebody like you said you had to pass a certain test if you wanted to know what you were going to do. Not too long before that, it was pretty much illegal for black people to read and write. So here it is: Willie T is telling his family that you're going to use college money to start a racing career. What was that? How did that conversation go? Pretty simple. <laughs> I told him what I, I was going to do. And my dad, fortunately, my dad understood my, uh, auto racing. He did okay. it as a hobby. My grandfather hated it because it was spinning up a lot of the uh, business money uh, and that he had, he had built. All right. And he started his company in 1927. Mm. 1927 is when he started ribs plumbing and heating and mechanical. So, um, and he did well, but by the time World War II was over, uh, his business was booming because of all the GIs coming back and the building boom took off in California. Gotcha. So, uh, you know, financially we were uh, well off. We were in very good shape. Uh, I didn't want to work for my dad because, you know, he took over the business, him and my uncle from my grandfather. And I just told my dad, and if it wasn't for my dad's hobby, I would have never known motorsports. I would have okay. never known. It was his hobby. I, by the time I was uh, nine, nine years old, I knew what I wanted my career to be. So I, you know, he bought me go-karts and he bought me racing motorcycles and I started learning how to the the competition side start building my my uh my talents right and so that's how it started it, i knew what i wanted to do when i told them that i wanted to go to england and start my racing career there was pretty much no discussion other than okay what's your plan okay so i told them my plan and uh, my mom, my mom uh, endorsed it. She says, uh, "You're gone." And it was really? that it was that easy. Really, I did not expect that. Oh, I yeah. honestly did not expect that. My my dad was actually skeptical. 
he thought I was going to go over there and party and chase, uh, chase, uh, 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 yeah, <laughs> chase girls, right? Yeah. Right. I almost said the cat, yeah. another name for a cat. But right. I, I, <laughs> That's why I cut you a poon. I got you. Yeah, right. So, um, <laughs> but he thought I was going to go over there and do that. I And my mom knew better. My mom said, okay. I know why he's going there to start his racing career. Okay. And when I called home after I won my first race, uh, it was, you know, it was all validated. It was all validated. It was all valid. So, so let's, let's, let's catch this up. So you, you got the college money, you go overseas, you show up cause you're going to go in for Scorpion racing that Scorpion racing team. You show up to this farm, Mike Estick, uh, Eastick, Eastick. Yeah, Eastick. Mike Eastick. And 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 world known to me why he would think you were only there to be a farmhand. You know, why he thought a black man showing up to him would just want to be a farmhand. You know, it's just been, you know, just kind of baffles me. Right. But you're not. You get there. And I did notice that between there were three more races in that season where you had no points. So with you saying that, was it had you not clinched early? Were you not going to be able to continue that season out? Or was there another reason why you didn't f compete in those last three races? Oh, I would have actually, I don't know if it was last three. I think it was one or two races, but I had had so much points that I couldn't be caught. I had set such a big gap. If uh, we were still fighting for that championship, Mike Eastick would have been, uh, let's go. Okay. We didn't okay. have to. So why, you know, why spend the money? And by then Mike Eastick was paying for out of his own pocket. I ran out of money halfway through the season. Whoa, Half, okay. Halfway through the season. And I told Mike, I said, look, you know, we're, things are getting skinny. And he said, uh, he says, well, we're leading the championship and uh, I want you to win it. And I want to win it. So just don't crash the car and cost more, cost us uh, more money. And, uh, We'll keep going. And we okay. did. And no, he stick from the time I walked in and knocked on the door at his ranch, because he had a huge ranch. He was half farmer and half race team owner. Okay. And he had a big barn full of race cars and another big barn full of tractors. So when I knocked on the door, he says, um, how you doing? I said, yeah, I uh, come to uh, talk to you about, you know, driving one of your race cars. And he says, wow, uh, I, I thought you were here to get a job on my farm. So <laughs> I said, no. I said, the the, the vehicle I'm going to drive goes real fast. It's not <laughs> one of your tractors, right? So, <laughs> um, we did a deal in about two hours. And I spent two hours with him. And uh, he, right from the right from the beginning, he gave me what it took to win. Okay. Right from the start. Right from he the didn't start. Turn. But after my fourth race, and, it, and my fourth race was a great one because it was a, against Nigel Mansell, former Correct. And, uh, oh, God, Michael Rowe. There's some great drivers, all young. And after the race, I ended up finishing second. Uh, Rowe wanted me, then Mansell. And we had dinner that night after the race. Okay. And he said, oh, by the way, he says, uh, what, how much, what kind of racing did you do in America? 
um, before you came here? I said, none. <laughs> and and he had, I'm, I was glad he had a, a glass of scotch in his hand because he took a drink and he said, what do you mean none? I said, none. I, and none. I've never raced. I went to driver's school in America, but I never raced in America. And he took another drink. Another hit on that drink, and he says, "Well, I'm glad too many of you Yanks are not coming over here, <laughs> pulling that on me like you just did." <laughs> and he had no idea because he they weren't kind of checking. There was no records, right? Check, right. Exactly. Right? And uh, so after that, he had even more respect for my driving talent. After that dinner, after that night. Mm-hmm. after that fourth race um and that was the same day that i met bernie ecclestone okay at at brand's hatch that same day and then that night you know uh um i used to and i were having dinner he told me you know uh well i told him yeah what my history was mm. and he uh he said, wow, he says, <laughs> he says, you'll be in Formula One in six months. <laughs> <laughs> At this rate. Yeah. But, yeah. but, but that yeah. that doesn't happen. And I I remember you saying in the uh, documentary Uppity, which if any of you have not seen it, you need to go check it out, download it, stream it, watch it. Uh it, it is beyond awesome. You were saying that a lot of the drivers were sponsored by their country. And and you did not have that. Was there ever a conversation for you to get some type of sponsorship from the United States of America at that point in time? Well, the government doesn't sponsor drivers. Now, drivers from Brazil, mm-hmm. like Emerson Fittipaldi, for example, or Nelson Piquet, the time when I was there, they had companies inside their country that supported mm-hmm. them. Correct. It wasn't the government. It was corporate companies inside their country where there was a, a Brazilian company or a company from Argentina or Colombia, they always had support. I had no American support what, at all. And, um, you know, I, it was all family money and people like Mike Eastick who went into their pocket, you know, to um, make it happen for me. That's 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 that is wild to to see that type of talent. So let let me just let's let me just ask you this. I I know over there it's it's I'm not you know they called you Yank or whatever the case may be, but was there no interest at all even over there to hitch to a talent like yours to to just take you and and allow you to do the great things that you were, that you damn well could have done. I, I suppose it, it, there could have been uh, a, an, another team owner or some corporate uh, British companies that could have been involved, but I was new. Mm-hmm. I was brand new. I was winning when Lewis Hamilton's dad was a teenager. Mm. Okay, and Lewis Lewis was far from being born, and you know. I was a novelty in one sense, 
and, and, and a groundbreaker in another. What I didn't get was any pushback okay. over there. Okay? okay. When I came back to the United States, I ran into nothing but walls and right. resentment. Resentment, fear, just outright fear. And, and, and uh, that was the obstacle that I didn't have to deal with over there. Okay. So let, let's get to that because now you, you're over there, you set off, go over there, Formula One, uh, Formula Four champion. You do that, right? Like you've accomplished something, like we said, that probably no American had at the time, especially a black man like yourself does. You come back over here with a pretty good resume to start. Uh, you get your start in Formula Atlantic, which is somewhere, I guess, like a cross between Formula over there and Formula Atlantic over here. It's kind of like some a medium. It kind of it's right. It's it's sort of in between. In between Formula Ford, then Formula Atlantic, and then Formula One. Got you. Okay, right. so you you're starting this up now. You get there, your first drivers meet. Nobody wants to look at you for for reasons that we already know. Racism is abundant. They don't want to see you there. They don't want to see you in what they, they were would call their sport. Absolutely terrified. So, and I and that wasn't my my observation. That was observation observation from one of the top mechanics in Formula One by the name of Alan McCall, who was Jimmy Clark's mechanic. And Alan was a great friend of mine and the family's. Well, he was at that driver's meeting with me. And when we walked out of the meeting, he looked at me, he says, and those guys all look like a bunch of scared monkeys. That's <laughs> exactly how, quote, close quote, what he said to me. Mm -hmm. And I just laughed about it. <laughs> and But they were just, uh, it was amazing the not, hey, welcome home. Right. Uh, congratulations. None of that. None of it. That's wild. Because that, when I came back, Long Beach Grand Prix Formula Atlantic race was my first uh, race in America. Okay. My very first race, back from England. Champion. And right. it was it was really a, um, uh, I mean, it didn't bother me, the sort of the reception. Uh, but, you know, I, I looked at them like, so you guys. So at that point in time, would you have one race, right? And that was that was it? And that was it. So why, why the one race? What happened? Was it money again? Was it back? It was always it was more money. And, and my career, <clears throat> as far as racing concerned, there's probably no other sport that or one of the few sports that is dependent on finance okay. and corporate sponsors. It is, you're not going to win anything. And even if you get a little bit, a little bit, it's not, it takes money to win. Winning costs money. And the guys who had it usually one so i got bits and pieces here to uh, to to race uh about i might have done 10 formula atlantic races in my career see see well this this my this is my problem with this you you did more with less all right because what was it it's 
82, you go back to Formula Atlantic, right? You're in front of Bernie again. You're in front of Andretti. You're in front of the whole front, racing, the, the whole, whole racing world. Exactly, was the whole Long racing Beach world. In 1982, right? Exactly. You take a car to pole with with pretty much no time, no time, no practice. No, you take the in in subpar machinery at that. How how is it that people can say there's anything else besides for the color of your skin? Because it can't be your talent. It can't be your work ethic. It can't be your mentality. You've done more with less. If anybody else, fairer skinned, would have done that, there would have been people that would have jumped behind it like that. Right, right, right now. And when I did it, I had a half a day's practice in the car. That's what I'm talking about. That's half a day. I'm... And then went straight in and put it and qualified on the pole. And there were some great drivers in that race by the name of Michael Andretti and Alan Tajini. And Jeff Brown, Roberto Norino, Price Cobb, it that all those young drivers were trying to perform in formal in front of Formula One because that was a Formula One race. We were the undercard. Mm -hmm. Everybody wanted to look good. I put it on pole and drove and pulled away till the engine failed. Right. Right. And nothing. Absolute nothing. No. Um, no response from no response other. at all, nothing, no response at all. And I didn't have what, what got Lewis Hamilton where he is today was a guy named Ron Dennis, who was a great team owner, world champion, uh, former one world champion team owner with, uh, with Ayrton Senna, Ron Dennis took his money and groomed and made Lewis Hamilton a Formula One champion. Mm. Took him from go-karts as a kid, right up to Formula Two, Three, all the all the levels that Lewis had to go through. Correct. Get to the top. Ron Dennis um, financed it right into his own Formula One team. Ron Dennis just got knighted a few days ago by the Queen, or by the King of England. Mm. He was just knighted. And I said, years ago, I said it, to the media, I said, if there's one guy that should be knighted, it should be him. Ron Dennis. I said it years ago. Well, he just got knighted. Well, congratulations, just for what Ron he Dennis. Did, right. What he did for Lewis Hamilton. He, he put his money were his mouth, and I didn't have that. Okay, I didn't have. But see, a guy like Ron Dennis understands racing so well. Um, but a guy like Roger Pinsky, he could have done it. He could have done the same thing with me that he did with Rick Mears and some of his other drivers. Brought brought Rick Mears out of the out of the dunes. Rick, Rick Mears was a off off a dirt racer, off road racer. <laughs> Made him a champion. Right. Roger could have did the same thing. He didn't because they have a, a network. Mm -hmm. They have a network inside racing. It's very close. And they all talk with each other. Got you. They all Got say, you. hey, you're going to run. You ain't going to take that Negro, are you? Right. That, that, I'm, that's the kind word. Right. That was, yeah, the, yeah, kind word. That, that yeah. was, that was the very kind. That was the kind word. Right. That's not uh, the word you got through your no, through your journey. It, it, yeah, I didn't get that, right? 
So, um, so it was really Paul Newman, the end of 1982. I qualified mm-hmm. on the pole in Long Beach in April of 82. And no, two days before Thanksgiving in November of 82, I get a call from Paul Newman and he says, I got a deal for you. Right. Your first paid deal on top My of that, right? Paid, right. First paid deal. He says, it's not in Formula Atlantic. It's not an open wheel car. It's in Trans Am Championship. And if you want it, it's a done deal. That's if you want it. I've already done it. And so I said, well, if you recommend it, I'll, I'll do it. Right. So I jumped into a car that I was totally unfamiliar with. Totally. Much bigger car, much right. more power. Right. More horsepower. More horsepower, heavier, bigger, straight away. I was just a fastest. tank. Straight away. I was the fastest guy out there. So let me let straight me ask away. you this before. Let me ask you this before we get there. Before we get there, you you get a call from Humpy Wheeler. All right. NASCAR. Yeah, 1978. Right. So he's calling you to come into NASCAR. Do you think you get that call from Humpy if there's not a financial motivation to pull money from the black community? Do you think you get that call from Humpy if he's just purely trying to get, you know what? I see a black driver. I see a driver. He's black, but he's good. And I want to bring him here because his talent and his ability can can showcase here or do you think you don't get that call if there's no financial motivation from the black community just your opinion in in the case of every african-american athlete unless it's financially advantageous for 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 the vote for those who are making the phone call they're not making the phone call Mm. that goes to today even to today even to today Okay. Okay. It's not because we have beautiful skin. <laughs> not the melanin. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> I think I think I think Humpy saw a, a lot of a lot more attention okay. for his for his event. He saw because I was already making headlines. Right. So he saw attention and maybe he saw uh, I, I don't think African Americans at that time were still comfortable for buying tickets to go to a NASCAR race. With Confederate flags and, oh, and yeah, AKK members in the crowd. I don't doubt everywhere. It. Oh <laughs> yeah. They were everywhere. And uh so I don't think he thought it was going to be any big financial gain uh with ticket sales. What I mm-hmm. do think uh and it's what he would have gotten and was getting was okay. uh media attention. Media attention. Oh yeah. So him getting media attention, you're you're here getting called in the N word. You're getting you you're getting spit in your direction, and you're getting death threats. All right, do you think Humpy decides to continue on with you racing if he doesn't get any death threats? Let's say his his hide's not on the line at all. He doesn't get one phone call. He goes to sleep, wakes up. Do you think he still goes ahead with it if he doesn't get a call like that? I don't think. I don't think that was the call that would would scare him the most. Oh yeah, the death threats that he was getting, that he said he was getting. Uh, I think what scared him the most was maybe NASCAR pulling his race. Mm, that's a point. 
That's a big, that's a big hit. Right. They don't get a race. They don't get a sanctioned race mm. unless NASCAR gives it to them. Yeah. That's heavy. So, right. So they're, they're probably, you know, I, I would not have been shocked if they made the phone call and said, uh, it's him or us. Okay. But not shock me. <laughs> Say it would not shock uh, and, me. And I know this industry inside and out. Yes, sir. I know I was born in this sport. I know the politics of, of NASCAR, IndyCar, and Formula One. Yes, sir. Grew up in it, got a PhD in it. So there's no way that they can hoodwink me with any any horseshit narrative uh, and try to uh, spin it in my direction as if I was uh, the reason. The reason. Right. Don't okay. even. If, don't. You, if you could briefly explain to the audience, what does a card carrying member mean? Because some people hear that and they might not really understand what that means. What because the the steward, I believe the director steward at that race that you were gonna compete in for Humpy, uh was a card carrying member. What does actually that mean? it was not his race. That, okay, that, it wasn't his race. It was uh Talladega, Alabama. Talladega. So that steward there, right. what know does the, that mean? Uh a card carrying member, and that's an old school terminology of true K K K. The three Ks, the right? Three Ks. Now, I don't know if Bill Gasway, who was the chief steward of NASCAR at the time, was a card carrying member, but he sure acted like one. Mm. Okay, he acted. He was absolutely as as nasty and vile towards me as anyone that I'd ever come in contact with in in the sport. Damn. That and and probably half the people that I came in contact with mm -hmm. had that same vile mentality. Yeah, that 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 hate look on their face. I don't. I you can just see it. I haven't done a thing to them, but you could also see the fear too. Understood. But on the other side of that was guys like. Bobby Allison, for example, great human being. Uh, Harry Gant, great human being. Michael Walter, there were some, there were some dry, even Dale Earnhardt Sr. I remember good, you saying something about good, that. Yeah, yeah, good. But they're not going to overrule. Exactly. They're not going to go against they're, that big wave. They, they can't fight that. They're, yeah. they're trying to be, uh, they don't want to get, uh, they don't want to get their nuts chopped. Correct. For for uh, outwardly or openly supporting Willie T. Rips, correct. But towards me, they were they treated uh, you fair, very very fair. I had okay. I had one of my greatest races ever with Bobby Allison, and, and just awesome a dirt race in Kansas. Never been on dirt before. I led half the race. <laughs> I let after so this this Bobby, happens time after time, right? You yeah, get in, yeah. you've never done it before, and you never been before, right? <laughs> and uh a lot of the, the West Coast media, I was doing an interview a week after the race in Portland, 
they had to call Harry Gant because they didn't believe what I had said to the media. When I got there, I said, well, I had a great race, led, never been in a, uh, dirt before, and had a great race against Bobby Allison and Joe Rutman and the guys. They called Harry Gant to verify. And Harry Gant said, everything he's saying is true. Mm. Harry Gant told the media, everything Willie T is telling you happened. So um, I don't forget that because, you know, there's been a lot of pushback from, from the industry. But then there were some inside the industry that were white, like Paul Newman, like Jim Truman. Right, like Jim Truman. Right, that absolutely, you know, and they were powerful enough to say, fuck you guys, excuse my language audience. No, no, you good. I'm I'm a Navy man. Okay, I, uh, but that was, uh, they pushed back against people who are pushing, who are pushing me back. Indeed. Okay, so let me let me ask you about this because somebody else because we were going to get into this about the relationships that you that you that you had that were very um, how can I put it precious in in priceless relationships that were built on character and integrity. And you talked about Paul Newman, which he's a Navy man, so ooh to that. Jim Truman, which honestly his motto just just wows me, and we'll talk to that. But you also had a relationship with Muhammad Ali, and what I want to ask you in in reference to that is this: Muhammad Ali was already fighting for his own his own livelihood in this country as a black man, as a boxer doing right. You saw many other things in your time of growing up, black people coming up, trying to do the right thing, getting their lives taken. Muhammad Ali had lost a friend in Malcolm X due to assassination. He's going through all this. You're watching this man try to fight for his boxing career and his livelihood. And meanwhile, you're doing the same in the face of racism, trying to trying to get a career and everybody's trying to push you down not everybody, but there are people trying to push you down due to the color of your skin. How and what in your mind keeps you getting up when you're when they're trying to knock you down and pushing forward in a in an industry that just blatantly says they don't want you? They're not even ready for your greatness because I feel like they weren't ready for the greatness of Willie T. Ribs. And, and, and I lightweight feel robbed myself from being able to see where you were going. How did you continue to push on beyond that after so much adversity? When I met Ali in London and we were running through Hyde Park together, we were jogging through Hyde Park, just me and him. He said to me, <clears throat> you, you, you kind of crazy. I said, how so? You know who you're dealing with? I said, yeah. He says, well, unless you let them beat you, they can't beat you. Mm. So you know what they tried to do to me? He says, just remember, they didn't beat me. And they're not going to beat you if you don't let them. You do not turn the other cheek. You do not buckle down. You do not kowtow. He said, you keep your foot in their ass. <laughs> Full wide open throttle. <laughs> yes. And and you know, and I had that. Plus, you know, I I I had enough support 
not just family support because you know i mean i my mom and and henry henry was the tough guy he was just no he had no patience for uh accepting defeat he had no patience for uh you uh compl for complaining or having any <laughs> emotional mental problem you know Right. He, there was no such thing as mental health issues. No, uh, he was born in 1899. Oh yeah, yeah, okay? definitely not. The, the Titanic sunk in 1912. Okay, so um, he had <laughs> no patience for that. And right. if you and 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 when we were kids growing up, I mean, he kept you busy on that ranch. Either right. you work in the family business or you're on the ranch. And if if you look like you weren't busy enough. He had a, a hundred foot ditch for you to for Ooh. to dig. Talking about oh, he'd had, work. He'd had, he'd had you shoveling, digging ditches for uh, fence lines and and sprinkler lines, and that was his method of handling mental depression. <laughs> not not pills, a shovel. Work <laughs> right, work. And so with that kind of upbringing. Dealing with those people that I was dealing with really wasn't that hard. Wasn't much of nothing. Right. Oh, that wasn't that hard at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you guys think you guys are bad actors. You guys can't, you know, you don't know. They don't know toughness. And right. so the toughest part, and I wish African Americans in this country and people of color and all the people that followed the sport or follow me or learn is that it what it it was the companies in this country it was the manufacturers you mm -hmm. name them all the car manufacturers and, and auto supply manufacturers and oil companies they're the ones that turn their back on me mm, they're nice. the they're the ones they're the ones that take trillions billions and trillions of dollars over right. decades, right? Take mm -hmm. it. Those are the ones who never gave back and say, hey, you know what? This is important. This is important for our country. This is right. important for the sport. This, hey, the, all this dialogue about DEI and, and, and people that are building their name attacking DEI. Me and and creating hate in this country, right? Yes, sir. The individuals are coming out of the woodwork like cockroaches. They're attacking. Okay, there was no such thing as DEI when I was racing. The, it, it, that acronym was not invented. Was not invented. Right. There was no such thing as diversity, equity, inclusion. Right. When I was racing, no, right? I not was at all. it. Right. right, you you were you were ground zero. <laughs> right, I was ground zero, and there was no title. Okay, <laughs> I busted my ass and I won. Right, they can't attack me. I am right now Formula One's diversity, equity, and inclusion ambassador for Formula mm -hmm. One, the biggest yeah, racing sport on the in planet. In the world, right? I am an ambassador for them. All right. I dare, I dare them. I dare them to come after me mm. because one of the guys, his name is 
Chris Rufo. Mm -hmm. Rufo went after uh, Dr. Uh, Claudine Gay, Harvard president. He attacked her. Mm -hmm. Now, here's a guy with a hair lip. Ever seen his face, Christopher Rufo? He's got a hair lip. Got the hair lip, right. Okay, and, and the guy attacked her, and they took her out. And they used a, a ploy called plagiarism, which they all do, right? Right. And took her out. I, this kid, uh, attacks DEI, this Rufo. Mm -hmm. I was winning races when he was seagull shit in his daddy's testicles. <laughs> That's pretty young. You know, I know. I I know you can. Uh, I know you can visualize that. Right. right. I, I can. Okay. And so, I'm not for any company to roll over mm -hmm. against absolute hate because that's really there's fear. Fear. It's cowardice. You're a coward. Truth. Facts. Right. Right. You're scared and you're a coward. So you're going to attack those who've been pushed down, who've been kept down. Right. And right. then crawled in and who are qualified to do it, more qualified than they are. Right. You're going to attack them and, and, and the industries and institutions that are trying to make this country better. Hey, I'm here. Come, come after come, me. Come on with it. Come, 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 come to me. Okay. Well, Willie T said he's out to smoke. Make, <laughs> oh, yeah. I will make you cry. I'll make them cry. Because they'll be less, they're already less than a man now. Right. With those type of character traits, definitely. They'll be the size of a mouse when I get finished with them. Quiet. So yeah, they right. So let so let me let me ask you this, because you brought you talked about big big companies that didn't support you. Uh but but I do have a question for you. I wonder if if you had the moment back, would you do it different? You step into Trans Am and like everything else you've stepped into, you you take off. I mean, because you're that you're to me, you are a phenom. You just take off. You get into a situation with a team where you are titled the number two driver and you're in a championship contention, which you haven't won in the States yet as far as a driver. Like you got the Formula Ford overseas. You come here and you're about to get it. I just got to know, Willie T, what what were you what was going through your mind? Like what kind of situations were going where you you took a powder to just and conceded that championship to David Hobbs? Like what what made you what made you kind of succumb to that? Did he, he approached you as you left the pits. Was there ever a moment where you were going to be like, I'm just not going to do it? I knew my future was on the line. All right. And that was my first year. Yes. That was my rookie year. The industry, many in the industry, did not want me there in the first place. So I'm thinking, and, and see, they create their own narratives. The team owners, the sport, Max. they create their own narratives. So I'm thinking insubordination. Would there ever be... Uh, a phone call to uh, to that team owner. Oh, well, how's Willie T? Yeah, he doesn't listen to shit. Right. He doesn't follow orders. 
right? So I was looking at it from a, a long-term uh, strategic side, right? I knew I had to do it because if not, I would not have been renewed. There My contract go. would have been renewed the next year. So, uh, and Hobbs knew. Hobbs knew, the industry knew that I was the top dog in the team. Because Indeed. a week later, we went to Las Vegas. And I'm talking, you blew I, him. I blew, I lapped him. Blew him out of the water. <laughs> so the industry knew who uh, who uh, uh, the top dog in, uh, in the team was. And it was the rookie, and his name was Willie T. Ribs. And uh, so I did it. And I knew that I was the guy, but I had to, uh, I had to be a, a lamb, sacrificial lamb. Man, Willie, that is, I'm not going to lie, it ate me up because I knew they took something from you that inevitably you you had worked for. And I figured that that was going to be it, but I said, I got to ask him because I, I don't want to assume, but I figured that that was what it was going to be. You were going to be in a situation. You just got there. And if you don't do it, you get it. But then what comes after that? Are you back to the farm? Are you back driving this this van again? And to put a man in that situation is 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 completely. It's frustrating for me, even myself I was, to think about I was it. I was the black driver in their mind. I was this even though I was the fastest. Driver still couldn't get away from being black and driving. Exactly. I was still number two. <laughs> right. So, um, but it wasn't long after that. The next race, the season, next race was Vegas. I won. Mm -hmm. And then the season was over. And the very first race of the new year, uh, 1984 in Atlanta, I was fired by that team. Yes. Right. Fired before the race started because I had a confrontation on a warm up with another driver. Right. The team didn't defend me. The, the team defended the other driver and fired me. And the opposing driver, not my teammate, a driver from a different team. I really knew how strong I was because I was fired on Monday before the race started. On Monday, I got a call from Etzel Ford. Right. right? I flew home from Atlanta Sunday night. Monday morning, I got a phone call. It was that phone call that told me I was the best guy in the sport. Right. I was the best guy in that championship series. Ray Charles could see that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and Stevie Wonder was backing him up. Right? So uh, <laughs> I knew when I got that call, that was, that was the message. You're the best guy. And we want you to race for us. And Ford hired me pretty much on the spot. On the spot. That, that blew the industry's mind. Mind. Because on Sunday, they thought he's gone. Right. But you weren't. Right. No more scared. We're not scared anymore. Monday. And then it was announced uh, a few days later that I was with Ford. That's and the end of events. Ripple. And one of 
Chevrolet's big dogs called mm-hmm. called Ford because Ford told me this. Called uh, uh, SVRA, not SVRA, uh, SVO, Special mm-hmm. Vehicles. Called the head of Special Vehicles and said to him, "I hear you're hiring Willie T." And he said in his German accent, "Yes." We hiring him. We think he's going to be a good fit for us. And the guy said, you're making a big mistake. Whoa. I was told that by Ford. You're making a big mistake. Yeah, it was a mistake because I kicked their ass from right. all year long. Right after that, <laughs> I whipped them. I beat them. We beat them in the Manufacturers Championship. Championship. Which is what Ford wanted. Right. They wanted that manufacturer's title over Chevrolet. And they ain't get it. <laughs> they didn't get it. <laughs> so oh, they still they still remind me of that when I see them. Do they? Oh yeah. They said, uh, you um put it on us. Right. <laughs> well, you could have told later hey, you had the problem circled the whole time. Right. <laughs> it was. <laughs> so let me ask you, we talked about manufacturers not backing you. Uh, you had a relationship. Bill Cosby comes in. He says you deserve the opportunity because you've earned it just like other drivers have, but you're not getting it. But not even Bill Cosby can get Coke to come and support you. You come to a team, Miller leaves. You got sponsors willing to leave a team just because Willie T's black and he's in the seat. Jello can't come. But you end up getting a, a contractual deal with promoter Don King, by the way, which the first contract, I'm very glad that you didn't sign that. I, I am definitely happy that you stood up to Don King and his lawyer, whomever, and, and got the, got the paperwork right. But Don King's initial move to put you in with the Sherman Armstrong team probably was not the best fit for you. Uh, however, I'm going to say this from my opinion, and then you can, you can walk it up the way, the way it is. Cause you factually know I took it as almost an attack on your life, Willie, for what they, the neglect and the negligence that they had going on inside of that team when you got in the Indy for that first time. Uh, I think I felt like certain portions of the team would have been okay if had you ended up with a wall and never climbed out of that cockpit ever again, never climbed out of that seat ever again. That's the way I felt by by looking at some of the things that were were in place how did you feel because they like you said they murdered you in in the in the public they they sacrificed you in the public and and some people if they don't do their research would think that oh willie t could never could never stand up to the speed he could only get so far how did you feel because that's how i took it yeah your observation is correct it's correct i knew that and don king meant well Don didn't know anywhere. Don doesn't know the difference between a spark plug and <laughs> and a front tire. Okay, he doesn't know, but he meant well. And what Don is great at is is uh, making deals. gift of gab. Right. Yeah, he's a great deal maker when it comes to putting uh, uh, money together and and budgets together. Uh, he did that. What he didn't know was the team. I didn't know the team that well until I got there. Mm-hmm. And I realized, see, what they were banking on is, hey, he's dumb. He's black. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. The, he doesn't know the technical or the mechanical side of this business. Mm-hmm. He's not, you know, they they have their stereotype image. Right. 
<laughs> I popped their bubble again. I knew almost right away that this is not going to go well. I knew it. And I walked away from it. Because so. that's how much I knew about the sport, right? And especially the technical side. So, uh, and I was attacked for it. Yes. I was attacked were. for walking away. I was attacked. No other driver that decided, and that includes Juan Manuel Fangio, who tested IndyCar, five-time world champion. He said, no, it's not for me. They didn't attack him, but they attacked me. It's attacked you. Right. And, uh, but, you know. So. They lost. So, and they, they lost that one again. Right. That I was came, another one. They tried to get and, over on you. They tried to get yeah, over on you. Yeah, they tried to. Right. <laughs> they lost that battle because I came back in 91. Right. And and not and did it with less money, but with a better team. Better team. And I'm and I'm Wait. say that I got a question to ask you about that right after I asked you this question, because coming back to 91 is still uh Bill Cosby financially was behind you for cart, correct? Yes. Okay, so in this situation, because you've already had plenty Cart of other and IndyCar. And and, IndyCar. and the five hundred. Okay, so Bill Cosby was riding with you. Every race I did in IndyCar, including the Indy 500, yes, for three and a half years, was all Cosby. Mm -hmm. Okay, all Cosby. Service merchandise was on the car, but that was a, a, a quid pro quo deal that Cosby did. Cosby traded off some ad spots, right, and some commercial spots for that money. Okay. For for that support from service merchandise. Okay. And, and for those who don't know, service merchandise used to be a company that was like they sold electronics, they sold all types of stuff. It was your it was your best buys before you had best buys and so exactly. exactly. So you had a situation that occurred, and I and I don't want to go so much into the situation more than try to get your mind frame of a driver and how you get through this. You had a situation, I believe it was in 90. Uh, you're on track, a stall car. Marshall's come onto the track for the stall car. Uh, you're coming around the track. Marshall's run in front of your car. You end up colliding with them. One of the Marshalls loses their life. How did you, how did you, how does, how does a driver go through something like that and then not let it impact them any further than to, to diminish your skills? Cause it didn't like, how did you deal with that mentally? How did you get beyond that situation? First of all, I didn't know I hit him. You didn't know you hit him? I didn't know. Because we were going through a little tunnel. We had, they had concrete walls. It was a very, I was only going maybe 20 miles an hour. Yeah, you, yeah, it was slow. I, I was on the caution. And you're going through this narrow, like, maze tunnel. And I felt a bump in the back of the car. I didn't see anyone run out in front of me. He actually, he was looking opposite direction down the track he wasn't looking in my direction he was looking the opposite direction and came out and went right into the side of my car and my left rear wheel hit him right yes. now i felt a bump but I, I i still it wasn't a bump that i would have thought was a body anything. i yeah and then i halfway around the track i'm going slow and they come on the radio the team came on the radio and said you hit he had a turn worker. I said, no, I didn't. 
They said, yeah, he did. It's on TV. I said, I never saw it. Then they explained to me, well, he came and and came into the side of your car. Correct. And so after the race, I, I, I kept thinking, and he hadn't, they hadn't declared him past until after the race. And sure. uh, the, I was questioned by the chief steward. I was questioned by, um, I think, the police. And they all saw that I wasn't at fault. So I was never charged or um, taken in front of uh, any any police or court. Right. Uh, It was a track incident. So I don't know why you would have to fear to think about that happening anyway, but. But I thought about him and that that he had a family. Yes. That's the first thing I thought about. Uh, And then I saw the video Mm -hmm. and it showed him, you know, he should come into the side of the car, but it also showed him looking up the track instead of down the track. Down the track, right. Which, which, uh, you know, those guys are, turn workers are pretty professional people, right? And what they're doing is 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 pretty dangerous. Dangerous. Right. And uh, it, uh, I, I don't know if, if someone was distracting him or what, but. Uh, Just went the wrong way. Yeah. And, you know, I, that the part, but probably one of the most difficult parts is I never saw it. Yeah, <laughs> I never, until after you saw it, like yeah, everybody. I like saw it. In, I saw it in video. Right, but I never saw it. In you front never of my knew house. that you were in that situation when the situation occurred. Exactly. When they said you hit somebody, I called him a liar. Right. You, on the radio. Yeah. I said no, I didn't. They said yeah, you did. I said where and where did I hit it? I'm trying to think back. And then they told me where it was. And then I remember this bump. I remember a bump, but it was so subtle. The bump, it was like, it wasn't even like a speed bump. It was right. less they wouldn't even register that, they would, right. that it was exactly. something more that than something so that I hit. Right. So, so let me, let, let's go here. Cause Don also, like you said, he, he had his good intentions. Uh, he he manages to come. Of course, Jack Roush gets in his feelings about the situation, but you're doing with what every driver aspires to do, which is get to the pinnacle of the sport. So it should have been no it should have been no ill feelings, but it was. But Don gets you a meeting with Bernie. You get to go overseas again. You're back over here, finally in Formula One. So it's fair to say first black man ever in Formula One driving a Formula One car. Right. First ever. First is- ever. In history, right? Right. Lewis would be the first to compete and be champion in Formula One. But so you were the drive. You was the first to drive. When I did that, Lewis was eleven months old in diapers. <laughs> he was eleven months old in diapers. And every time I see Lewis, I say to Lewis, "I've got some diapers for you." <laughs> <laughs> hey, Lewis said, "I filled them though. I feel I finally filled them." <laughs> <laughs> but I'm so proud of his, you know, he didn't deal with the vile racism yeah. and hate and death threats that I dealt with. However, he's dealt with he, some. He, he's dealt with. Yeah, he's dealt he's with dealt some. With. 
So yeah. do you feel like do you feel like Bernie honestly was giving you an opportunity to be in Formula One or maybe it was just a deal between two tycoons and let's see what kind of comes out of it business wise. Do you really feel like that? Because I know you said to get under the time you got under by one second. I don't know what that time was. I know you said they want an Italian in the car. They did get one in there finally. But do you feel like there was really honestly something because Bernie was the man. So I don't understand. Yeah, where... see, Ber uh, and and I don't for one, it cost Bernie a lot of money to put me in that car. OK, for me just to do the test. That was one hundred thousand dollars out of Bernie's pocket. Not hundred K. Hundred K. Just for me to do the test. I, I, I'm thinking that Bernie uh, was uh, waiting for a phone call from a multinational company mm -hmm. uh, to say, "Hey, uh, we want him in your car. We okay. want him in in your team." And Bernie might have had a deal on the line. However. That time when I did it, he had two Italian drivers, Ricardo mm -hmm. Patrese and cool. Elio DeAngelis. And their primary sponsor was Olivetti, Valley. which was Italian. You're not the the I couldn't break through that. Yeah. I, okay. Politically, that that's a political uh uh ceiling that I couldn't couldn't that break you couldn't break through. And right. Bernie had had uh, a responsibility to keep his team going and he couldn't tell already to go screw them to go screw yourself right okay right so big money thing all right man willie there's there's so much more but i do appreciate the time that you've given us i know you're a business man i don't i do want to thank you so much for the appreciation for even spending some of your time with me for we'll do know, more we'll okay roger we'll that do more. We'll roger do more. that as, Roger. Uh, uh, this year, halfway through Formula One season, okay. we'll do more. Roger that. So, well, I want to. I want to tell you again. Thank you on behalf of everybody, my community, uh, myself. Uh, like my daughter wanted to say something, but I told her we, we, next time, baby, she she'll get there. We get her ready for car race season, man. I wish you the best. Uh, I thank the world of you and the world of what you've done and what you've been through. And so with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, this is another episode of Performance Talk. We will see Willie T. Ribs again. It's not our last time. Uh, you all do what I say. Just build it and be great. All right. Peace. Be great. Peace. Thanks for watching another episode of Wolfpack Performance. Don't forget to check out some of my other content on Formula One and motorsports topics. Like, share, subscribe, and we go live on the weekends. See you soon.